0: This is the Fathering Project podcast, Figuring It Out Together, where we tackle many challenges facing dads and father figures and explore fathering across all ages, from newborns to toddlers, school age, and teenagers. We speak with experts in their fields to help you navigate solutions and positive outcomes for each stage of your fathering journey. Let's figure it out together. And welcome to the Fathering Project podcast. Katy Gapayar here and joining me today is Dr. Vanessa Lapointe, who we are thrilled to welcome back. In today's episode, Vanessa will help us understand how we can create an emotionally healthy and secure home for our children, what this looks like and how we can ensure we're providing our children what they need to the best of our ability. Dr. Vanessa is a registered psychologist, best-selling author, parenting expert, and mum to two growing boys. From her work in practice and as a mother, she has come to understand the connection between behavior and child development, as well as the incredible power of relationship between parent and child. While parenting pop culture has left many of us feeling conflicted in our parenting practice, Vanessa strives to empower parents to know that they are the single best expert for their child. Vanessa, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank
1: you. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Now, creating an emotionally healthy and secure home for children is so, so important. That is a very broad topic, so we certainly won't be able to cover all of it today. We'll have you back to cover more, but Uh We are keen to hear your insights on this, and as parents, we know it's imperative to child development to have a healthy and secure home. But can we question ourselves as to, you know, whether we're doing it right? And we all do that. So, can we start with defining what is actually a safe and secure environment for the, for a child, and why is it so important for their long term development?
1: Yeah. So that's a a big question that I'm going to give a big answer to that will have lots of sort of um, layers to it if we were to spend the next five days talking about it. The big answer in terms of what really constitutes a safe environment for children isn't anything to do with the concrete environment and it's everything to do with the emotional environment. What makes it safe for children is if they are in what Dr. Gordon Newfeld refers to as right relationship with their parents. What right relationship is, is that there is a hierarchical nature to the relationship where the parent is here and the child is here, or the parent is the backbone that the child is leaning in on. The parent is the, the, the steady, the parent is the provider, The parent understands that that is their ultimate role and that their children are the pursuers. Their children are their seekers. The parent provides for the emotional needs of the child and the child knows to pursue the parent to have those needs met. Where it gets a little tricky is that the child's pursuit of having the need met can often show up in colorful and interesting ways. And our job in terms of keeping that relationship at the forefront and ensuring the environment is safe is to not jump into the emotional struggle of the child and rather from the outside of that struggle, allow for an experience of containment and compassion.
0: And I'm assuming that as kids age, that what is defined as a safe and secure environment might change, is that the case? There will always be the foundation of relationship as the
1: ultimate um, determinant of whether the environment is safe. How the relationship plays out will look different over time because part of being relationally um, centered in how you raise your children is that you're going to be constantly sniffing out where you're meant to be putting the bar. So when you have a two-year-old, your bar is going to be here in terms of you know whether they're gonna manage their own emotions and, and, and do your bidding and all those things. When you have a 19 year old, the bar is gonna be a lot higher because the idea is that you are catering to that child and their developmental level and um, related to that, their uh, individual needs. And so certainly it will shift over time, the uniting feature, the thread that gets pulled through every single age is
0: relationship it seems like we are growing with our children as they grow isn't it we at the fathering project we are particularly um, you know trying to support fathers so in your opinion what are the some what are some of the unique traits or characteristics that dads possess which instill a sense of safety and security in their children
1: Yeah. And you know, I love that you're asking that question because for so long, there's been this hyper-focus on mothering. Uh, If you look at the the research for for the last 50 years, dads are incredibly underrepresented in even the research populations. And so um, it's a wonderful thing to be bringing that to the forefront. And I think what dads have to offer that might be different or unique to moms, and that's a broad sweeping brushstroke. Um, And maybe it's more what fathering energy has to offer compared to mothering energy. Uh, is that there is this sense of uh, the divine masculine where you're able to show up in this really present um, kind of big way to provide the safety that comes with containment and security. The reason none of us love driving across a bridge that doesn't have any guardrails on it is because it doesn't feel safe. And dads are really uniquely positioned Partly because of how uh, they're socialized, uh, to uh, have the guardrails beyond the bridge. And so they are representative in that sense of safety and really have that sort of innate ability to show up in that way and be that safe keeper of the children. And not just in a physical sense, I mean that also in a relational sense.
0: And of course, dads um, being you know physically stronger and bigger generally mm-hmm. than mums, um, they sort of show that strength. But it's important for them to also show some vulnerability, isn't it? So you know, to show kids that it's okay to cry or express emotions, um, especially to their sons, but also to their daughters. Do you agree with that?
1: It's so important, and I think what's really interesting right now is that there has been. There is a a pendulum swing happening where we have realized that the way we have socialized our boys who then become fathers has been remiss in the sense that, you know, they're meant to suck it up buttercup and take it on the chin and, and, um, and push it all down and don't be such a girl, like girl, boys don't cry, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Be a man, these horrible, toxic kinds of things. And what we know is that it's a little bit like a beach ball or a lot like a beach ball, where the more you take the sadness and the frustration and the upset and you push it down, push it down, push it down, push it down, just like a beach ball, the the further you push it under the, the water, the more it's gonna explode up. And so now we have men in really like a crisis situation where they're having um, mental breakdowns, they're having really explosive moments with their partners and or with their children. And we're all like, Oh, it's the men, it's the men. It's not. It's that we didn't allow the men to be humans when they were boys. And so now they've got all of this pent upness and it has to come out somehow. And I love what you said just a few moments ago when you said, it's kind of like we're growing ourselves as we grow our children. And I think that's exactly the gift that children will give today's fathers and what the fathers in turn can gift their children. When you have a child, it will bring you to your knees. The the degree to which it is going to stir up inside of you, all of your emotional wounds from childhood and beyond, it'll bring you to your knees. And so you get to be invited to show up and heal those parts of yourselves and in turn, create huge space and and open invitation for your children to be emotionally expressive, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because then your child gets to grow up and become an adult who is not at the effect of all of that repressed emotion. And you get to grow into your full self as a human who is no longer at the effect of All of that suppressed emotion. So, dads and kids can work together on the healing of a current generation and saving our children from having to heal from that themselves when they become adults.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, we're growing, it is the, you know, we're growing with our children and, um, It is the hardest job in the world, but is the most rewarding and um, most insightful job in the world as well. Uh, Just picking up on what you said about fathers, we know that research shows that the influence that fathers have on the health and development on on their children is equal to that of their mothers. But of course, we haven't been taking that into account. We've been making parenting synonymous with mothering most of the time and forgetting about the other parent. And um, it's wonderful to now bring the other parent in to be able to have children who thrive.
1: Yeah. And, you know, what's very interesting is that our children are genetically speaking half their mother and half their father. Our children are also experientially speaking half their mother and half their father. And so from an epigenetics standpoint, if the father is cast aside or isn't really part of the equation, we have cast aside half the child, half of what makes up that child is no longer part of the equation. And I think all of us would agree that we would never want to put a lid on half of our child. And so for children to get to uh, show up and be to their fullest capacity, who it is that they're meant to be, we have to create space for all of their people, including their mother and their father, to uh, be a presence in their life. Even if, you know, there's situations that can show up in families where because of safety issues and other kinds of things, maybe a parent cannot be directly involved. You can still have them be a really powerful factor in that child's world.
0: That's very important. As you say, we we don't ever want our children to have only half of their um, tools and equipment to grow into a full adult. So we need to give them the full lot of everything that they can have emotionally and um, psychologically, I guess, as well to make sure they have everything. That's very powerful. Thank you, Vanessa. Mm-hmm. Um, with the um, Talking continually about the emotional side of things, part of creating an emotionally healthy home is allowing children to freely express their emotions as we were just discussing. How can parents who grew up in households where emotions were not openly discussed begin to create a supportive environment for their children to be able to do that? What we call it is breaking that intergenerational cycle. How can parents do that? The
1: number one Thing that I would land on in response to that question is to turn the spotlight inward because what happens for us as parents, if we were raised in homes where it wasn't safe to express ourselves, when our children begin to express themselves, we will have remnants of those feelings of this is not safe coming up inside of us. And because it won't feel safe, our knee-jerk instinct will be to try and shut it down. Don't speak to me that way. How dare you? (laughs) You know, I'll give you something to cry about. We'll try and shut it down because it's making us feel really alarmed and really unsettled. Likely because if we would have expressed that way when we were children, we would have got what was coming. And so it doesn't feel like an okay thing for our children to express because we couldn't do it either. When you have those feelings come up inside of you, turn the spotlight inward. And sometimes it's too much of a leap to say, oh, just make sense of the feelings that are coming up and where it is that they are actually coming from and understand it has nothing to do with your children. That's a big leap. But there's an in-between leap that can sometimes be enough to change the dynamic of the moment. The in-between leap is get curious about what you're feeling. Just be curious. Be open to understanding why when your child comes out with this big emotion, you're having this sense inside of you of, and it's very alarming to you. Just be curious about it and know that it's yours to tend to. It is not your child's to care for. And from there, you begin to be a cycle breaker. You're allowing your child to express, and you're also healing the wound. It's like the resilience muscle. The more you have that experience and you flex that muscle of, okay, I'm going to sit with this and I'm going to get curious. And you see that over time, in fact, you are safe when your child is yelling at you and you are safe when your child's really upset about something. Um, you will flex the muscle that, that is part of healing and um, and coming through your own wounds so that your child doesn't have to.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, be curious about it. But you have to be conscious about that to then be curious about it, to realize what's happening. So how can we recognize emotional triggers? And and how do we, you know, cope with them to, as you say, avoid projecting them onto our children while parenting?
1: So anytime you are not neutral, in a challenging kind of way, not neutral, about something that is happening for you and or alongside your child, you are in a triggered state. And our job as a kind of foundational rule in terms of walking through that and coming out the other side of it with everybody okay is to recognize that the trigger is ours and ours alone. Your child did not make you feel that way. You have been carrying around those feelings and that wound. Since you were knee high to a grasshopper, probably under the age of eight years is when you first onboarded that cocktail of emotions. And now that's alive in you, but has nothing to do with your child. And so it's to take the finger back. We're not going to blame the outside world. We're going to point the finger towards ourselves and we're going to understand our inner world. And when you have a flare up inside of you, you feel the trigger come alive inside of you. Know that that is your inner child that is seeking support and comfort and connection from you, your grown-up self, because you're a parent and in real time, like your kid might be having a meltdown in front of you. You can't be like, hold on real child. I've got to go deal with my inner child right now. So just, can you like, you know, put a little nap for two more minutes while I just like go and connect to my inner child. So you aren't going to be able to do that because life is playing out in real time. And even just an acknowledgement, if your viewers could see me right now, I keep touching my chest because that's whenever I'm triggered, that's where I feel it inside my body. And so I know that my inner child comes alive in that part of me. And I just place my hand on that part of my body that feels very alerted with the trigger. And I promise her, the inner child, me, I will come back to you. And I got you and I got us and we're good. And then I will make sure to deliver on the promise that I circle back and I, I get attuned to what was up for me in that. Where did it take me back to anytime we're triggered, we are age regressed. We become a young version of ourselves. Where did it take me back to and why? And how can I let her know the inner child that I'm okay now? There's a beautiful book by John Bradshaw called Homecoming that actually um, walks you through some really beautiful ways to be connected to your inner child.
0: And if we can take it one level further, the word trigger might be a new term for some. Can you give us an example of what this might look like?
1: Yeah, so a trigger is going to be an emotional wound where the scab gets picked off of it. And what happens is that un leashes a biological and an emotional cascade of events where you will see uh, in the body there will be a chemical response and a spike in cortisol and you will see in the mind that there will be what we call a lid flip where you're no longer going to be in your rational self you're not um, appealing to the logical parts of your brain, you've gone limbic and you're down in your limbic system responding from that um, that more uh, innate internal part of self. And when all of that plays out, that's what a trigger is. And our triggers are um, formed by intense events that happen really at any point in our life course, we can develop triggers. And a lot of the triggers that come up for parents are a result of experiences that they had themselves when they were children. So those experiences live on neurologically, they're coded in your neurons as a memory, and in many cases live on biologically. And when something happens in present day that on some level is even remotely reminiscent of those former experiences that were very unsettling then the trigger comes alive it's the brain's way of trying to protect us and keep us safe and and problematically that incredible ad- adaptation of the human brain um, can become very maladaptive over time
0: so recognizing your own tr- emotional triggers can be a difficult process but anger fear Um, those kind of things are triggers, obviously, when when you recognize yourself, as you say, you are not in your normal state of being, something has triggered you. And then you can look internally and try and reassure yourself to then be able to relate to your child in the right way as they need at that time. Is that a reasonable summary?
1: That's a beautiful summary. And it is very hard to Acknowledge your triggers and recognize them and be vulnerable and open to exploring them. That is hard. Also, what is hard is not doing that. Maintaining the status quo be hard, y'all, because that means that you're not allowing for growth and development and you're going to end up staying stuck in the wound. And so it's one of those things where all of it's hard and we get to choose our hard and I'm going to tell you, getting very familiar with your triggers and your wounds and being ready, willing, and able to explore that, while it is hard, the end of that story is way more better than the end of the story where we don't take it on to begin with.
0: Thank you. That's incredible insight there. In what ways can, for our last question, in what ways can parents strike a balance between providing structure and boundaries, which we have to do, and fostering a warm, safe and supportive environment for their children at the same time? The two things seem to be in conflict with each other.
1: They do and they don't. And it's such an interesting thing because the the idea of firm and kind living harmoniously together is so hard for almost all of us to wrap our head around. And the reason is that I talk a lot about the parenting mountain. And if you can imagine, you know, a very sort of um, rudimentary mountain drawing, which would be like a, a triangle. And the peak of the triangle at the top is the peak of the mountain. On either side of that peak, if you want to maintain your position at the peak of the parenting mountain, you're going to have to have equal but opposite forces at play to prevent you from rolling down the side of the mountain. Those equal but opposite forces are firm and kind. And I say equal but opposite because that's how it feels to us. And yet, how many times for our children is firm actually kind? It is kind to be firm. And the two things must be partnered. If you go too big with your kindness and it's not balanced by firm, you'll fall down that side of the parenting mountain and you turn into a jellyfish parent. And that does not feel safe for kids. On the other hand, if you go too big with firm and you don't have enough kind operating, you fall down the firm side of the parenting mountain and you become a bully to your children. And that's not safe either. And so it's Um, really important for each of us as parents to embody the state of firm and kind at the same time so that our children can look to us as capable. Our children can look to us as dependable and our children can look to us knowing that if they go to lean in, we will be there to hold them. We will not collapse as jellyfish and we won't freak them out and make them move away after the lean in because we're too intense. We will combine firm and kind at the same time. I often use the sentence starter with my parents that I work with in my clinical practice of no, this is the firm part, no, you may not, whatever, fill in the blank, dot, dot, dot. And I know, I know you didn't want a no, you wanted a yes. That's disappointing. So it's a no, that's the firm part. And the kind part is, I can be compassionate about that. Um, dads I think as a default not always they end up being the firm parent and then the the moms are the kind parent and and whenever I talk about this in a big um, workshop setting I'll I start with the kind side of the mountains and I see the moms going see I told you so important to be kind right and they're elbowing their husbands and and letting them know like they've been right this whole time and then I move over to the firm side And I say an equally important, and then I see the dads go, yeah, (laughs) but the reality is it neither one are right. You both must embody firm and kind in order for the child to feel safe in your presence.
0: Do you think there is still a stigma around the role of dads and men and how they should behave with their children, that they should be firm and not loving and nurturing? I, less I really and, and less, you know, nurturing.
1: Yeah, I really do. I think that our men um, still in many ways are boxed in to a preconceived notion of what you're supposed to be like. If you're a dad, like wait till your father gets home, you know, that kind of idea that dads are the big heavy and and moms rely on them for that purpose. And we cannot blame men for that, um, that reality having played out. We equally need to own that as women and make sure that we are supportive of our men and being expressive of both their firm and their kind side and and not just supportive of them, but that we champion them to do that.
0: What a beautiful place to stop our podcast, Vanessa. Thank you. Very insightful and eye-opening discussion for all parents, but especially dads, creating a safe and supportive environment for our children which allows them to emotionally develop and mature is absolutely critical. And mums and dads, you each play a unique and important role. Listeners, Dr. Vanessa is full of wisdom and great parenting advice. We encourage you to check out her socials, as well as her website, com. We follow you on socials, Vanessa, and your posts are fabulous. Uh, the details will also be up on the Fathering channel. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, Vanessa.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you.